Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Memoirs, True Stories, Unfiltered. Can everybody hear me out there? I don't have a monitor, so I don't know what it sounds like on that side. So, why does Memoirs exist? And every month I come up with, or I don't come up with, I, I try to get inspired by and let it come to me. But this month, listening improves romantic relationships. What do we think? Yes? All right. So, relationship experts always talk about the importance of listening. Poor communication is behind a lot of the conflict and heartache in romantic relationships. By listening to one another, you create a safe, judgment-free place. This can take a lot of practice as many struggling couples are used to interrupting and talking over each other. Taking the extra moment to commit to listening will reduce some of that tension. What do we think? Yeah? So more listening, less talking. And my wife is like, I, I wish you would actually, you know, <laughs> listen to all that stuff you say. And with that, I'd like to give a shout out to a special friend who stepped forward and sponsored our cool fire. Because after all, fire is the original place where we came together to share our memoirs. So thank you to Jamie Kimes of Page 231 and alumni memoir storyteller. We appreciate you for believing in our vision. So, how many first-timers do we have here tonight? Yay! Thank you for coming, first-timers. I know what all of you first-timers are thinking. You're thinking, if I had to get in front of a room of people and tell my story, what story would that be? Is that what you're thinking? I thought I was psychic, but I guess I'm not psychic. <laughs> well, just in case you are thinking that and you would like to become a memoir storyteller, you can tap me or Maritza on the shoulder and let us know you'd like to get on stage, or you can send us an email at memoircos at gmail.com. You can also follow us on the socials. On Facebook, we are Memoirs True Stories Unfiltered. On the gram, we are memoircos. We also have a podcast. So just in case you'd like to catch up on some of the old stories that have uh, been on the memoir stage, we are on all the podcast players, Spotify, Apple, a bunch of other ones, a bunch of other ones. And if there's not one, let me know so I can hunt them down. Actually, this past week, we hit over 200 listens on our podcast, so that's pretty cool, right? Yeah, you can, you can be excited. It's okay. <laughs> so I don't have one of the stickers here, but I'm pretty sure when you all came in, uh, Samantha showed you a little sticker that the memoirs, true storytellers, or uh, memoirs, true stories, unfiltered sticker. So that sticker, part of the proceeds to that go to CASA. And with that, I would like to invite Michael back up on stage so he can tell us about CASA. Well, let's give Mike a hand. Thank you. It's going in my pocket, but I, I promise it'll make it to the, the right person back at the office. Uh, thank, thank you, Flip and Maritza, for having me and welcoming me back. Um, wanted to talk to you a little bit about CASA, the Pikes Peak region, and the, the work we're doing. I know this month's theme is what love, uh, what's love got to do with it. Um, and at CASA, love has everything to do with what we do. Um, we believe that children are our future. They should be loved, and they should have a responsible adult in their life that shows them love and care and concern, um, but sadly not every child has that. So for those of you that don't know, uh, CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. Uh, what we do at CASA is we recruit, train, and support advocates 
uh, that go out into the community, are paired with what's called a dependency and neglect case, and support children going through what's likely to be one of the hardest times in their lives. Uh, so they do this by getting to know the child and making sure their voice continues to be heard by all the decision makers in their lives, uh, judges oftentimes, um, and make sure uh, that it doesn't hurt to be a child. Um, so for you uh, that might be interested in getting involved at CASA, uh, there's a lot of different ways to do that. You can become an advocate. Uh, you can become a facilitator in our SEPT program, Supervised Exchange and Parenting Time, where we facilitate visits between non-custodial parents and their children, maintaining that, that healthy bond between parents and children while they're separated by the law. And then also by working in our hangar, uh, a small clothing boutique uh, akin to a Plato's Closet, something like that, uh, that's designed to offer free clothing, toiletries, and the like to foster teens in the community. They can come and shop at free of charge uh, once a week um, and get several items uh, free of charge. So lots of different ways to support CASA, and as Flip mentioned, uh, buying those stickers also helps us monetarily. So anything that you would like to do or get to know uh, more about CASA, please uh, feel free to contact me uh, at the CASA office. I'd be happy to talk your ear off. Thank you so much. Thanks, Flip. So before you can answer this question, did you ever check out any other shirts that were in the box last week? I did not. Because there were some risque ones. I got good reports. Yeah. We do also uh huh. But yeah, there were some fun shirts in there. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Michael. All right. So let's put our hands together for three E's for letting us use this fantastic space. I see that a lot of you have gotten some food and drinks, and that's why we're here. We're here to support each other because if you support them, that supports us, and we get to keep doing these fantastic events. Now, this little paper right here, do we see it in our tables? It's on every table. This is what's called an anonymous memoir. So tonight's theme, again, is what's love got to do with it? If you have an anonymous memoir that you would like to share on that theme, please fill it out. And in that back corner over there, there's a little basket. Just throw it in there, you know, nonchalantly. Don't let anybody see you. And uh, we will read them uh, throughout the night. All right, so I need to turn my page over because I'm trying to save trees. So I'd like to thank my memoirs team, Maritza, Samantha, and our new member, Erica, who is actually going to tell a story today. So let's put our hands together for them. Yeah. Thank you to Colorado Springs. So give yourselves a hand. And of course, thank you to our courageous storytellers of the evening. So again, with that, the theme is what's love got to do with it. Our storytellers for the evening are Jenna Isabel Rose with Love, Mind, Body, and Soul. Brian Swanson with Love of the Extended Family, and Erica Wald with Love Interrupted. So here comes our anecdote for what's love got to do with it. At some point, a decision must be made. Boundaries don't only keep other people out, but they fence in. Life is messy. That's just how it is. We can waste our time and our lives drawing lines, or... We can live our life in love and crossing those lines into the openness of the unknown, for love has no boundaries. I thought that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so with that, I would like to welcome our first storyteller to the stage. So let's put our hands together for Jenna Isabel Rose with Love, Mind, Body, and Soul.
choppy thoughts that I don't trip over the cord, okay? <laughs> so how many of you, when you were a child, experienced the monster under the bed or in the closet or behind the door? Yeah, a few of you, yeah? So there was this house. It was an upper middle class, three-bedroom home. And one of those bedrooms was at the end of a long hallway. It had pink walls and a bed that was piled high with a menagerie of stuffed animals. And this bed was placed not in the corner, not with the headboard against the wall, but 18 inches out. We don't know why but there was just enough room in this space for a five-year-old girl to hide, and she did. She would hide in that corner. She would be tight in a corner, wedged in there as far as she could go. Silent tears running down her face, immobile, frozen. She was waiting with dread to hear, step step, step, steps coming down the hallway. Would they stop at her door? Worse yet, would the door open? Would that person come in through that door? Would they hurt her again like they had so many times before? And in her body, she was tensed up, frozen, immobile, invisible, her mind was confusion. Why is this happening to me? Will it ever end? What did I do wrong? Her soul was a pit of despair. She was filled with hopelessness. For her, the monsters were absolutely real. We fast forward about 20 years. That child is now a grown woman. She's lived her life the best she could despite expecting to hear those steps down the hallway, that door opening. She's still feeling immobilized, frozen in her fear, especially in the dark of night. She's just coming off of a very nasty divorce from a horrible man. And it's just making it worse that she's about to turn 30, the big 3-0. She's wondering, what am I gonna do? Well, she sees a, a notice for a free ballroom dance class. Ooh, okay, this sounds like fun. It's like, if I remember right, she's thinking, my parents met through ballroom dancing, so I'm gonna do this, only there's one small problem. Uh, she's not very graceful. In fact, her two left feet had two left feet, but she still went to the class. And she still, she'd go early, she'd get her dance shoes on, and she'd practice, proper dance frame. And she practiced and practiced with determination. She was going to do this, despite 
her two left feet, having two left feet. And what she discovered in this process was this is safe. For the duration that she's with a dance partner, she knows where she's going to be held, where she's going to be touched, and it's safe for her. And she's on the dance floor with her partners, two to four minutes of each dance, and she's being seen. She's no longer that scared little girl hiding in that corner. She's out there. She's doing this. And she's feeling her body. She's feeling it move. Her mind is starting to open up. It's feeling the romance of ballroom dancing, sharing this intimate time with her dance partner and other couples on the floor. And her soul is finally starting to connect with her mind and her body. Fast forward again, about another 20 years. Now, I'm about to turn 50. Ugh, the big 5-0. Oh boy. 30 wasn't so bad. I got through it okay. But 50? Over the hill? Mm-hmm. Well, I had a choice. And I made the choice of... I knew other people who had turned 50. It's like, no, no. I'm going to turn 50 on my terms. This is a unique opportunity for me to do life in a way I never imagined before. So what do I want to do? I thought about it and I had a high school friend who for 10 years had been bugging me to take, he wanted to take my photo. Well now he's a professional photographer. I thought, eh, taking the photo's okay. But one little catch. He wanted to take my photo nude. <laughs> not happening. So not happening. Until I was on the threshold of turning 50. And I'm thinking, go big or go home, right? About to turn 50. So I called him up and I said, let's do this. He's like, why now? Well, I'm about ready to turn 50. I've got nothing to lose. He's like, Okay, sure, take me 10 years, let's do this. Here are the rules. This is, I'm gonna shoot in black and white. We're gonna do this in your apartment. And what you say goes. If you're not comfortable with anything, any pose, we're not gonna do it. And because I'd known this guy for so many years, I trusted him. I knew he wouldn't do anything to hurt me. So I agreed to it. Two hours later, we're sitting at my computer and we're looking at the, the photos. And went, he goes, yeah. I said, That's me. Those are photos of me. They're nude photos of me. <laughs> I'm beautiful. What <laughs> a concept. <laughs> 
And he goes, well, duh, I've been trying to tell you that since high school. <laughs> like, well, okay, you know, sometimes you're a little slow on the uptake. <laughs> and he goes, you know, you could do, you could do life modeling. You could be a life model. I'm like, what on earth is a life model? He goes, well, it's where people pose nude so that the students can learn how to draw the human figure. Okay, again, you know, I did the nude photo shoot, so not that big of a step to pose nude in front of a group of strangers so they can draw me. <laughs> so I find a local college and I interview with them uh, to model in the fall. I said, I'm gonna do this once, only once. And it really wasn't because, my God, I'm gonna stand nude in front of a group of strangers. <laughs> That didn't enter my mind. It was, can I be still for any length of time? My friends all know, I'm hyperkinetic. I'm always talking with my hands. And I'm going to stand or sit still for any length of time? <laughs> yeah, right. So I go into the classroom, and they set up the sideline pose. 30 minutes on, five-minute break for three hours. <laughs> it was a good thing I didn't know what I was doing. So... As at the end of the modeling, I discovered, as I'm looking at the pictures these students have drawn, once again, that feeling of, that's me. Oh my gosh, that's me. This is so cool. And it was. It was an amazing experience. And that was five and a half years ago. I'm still life modeling. One of the thoughts that went through my mind after I'd been modeling, especially at this college for a while, was, oh my God, I'm old enough to be the student's mother. I'm wondering if they're thinking about this. I'm wondering if they're going, trying going, you know, she's old enough to be my mom. Ooh, I think not. But I kept doing this. And as I did, I was learning things about myself. And people would ask me questions about how I came to be a life model, and they go, well, how do you stay so still? Hmm, I don't know. I thought about it, and then it dawned on me one day. It's because of that little girl, that five-year-old girl that would hide behind the bed. She'd have to be still to survive. But as an adult, I could do it because I chose to. It was a form of empowerment. I'm standing there, sky-clad, for all the world to see, lumps, bumps, and all, totally vulnerable. But I found myself in a place of empowerment. My body, as I began to model, I learned how to take care of myself. Modeling is a really physical job, especially life modeling. And I have to really, really take care of myself. Exercise, diet. I've been injured. Go figure. Half an hour standing pose will do that to you. But I, I've learned to love and accept my body. For my mind, it's an exercise of cre in creativity where I'm listening to the instructor, I'm seeing the students, what they're doing, and I'm thinking, what kind of cool pose can I do next? 
what kind of pose can I do that will make the instructor groan and challenge them? And from my soul, it was an awakening for me as I'm doing this and continuing to do this. I'm thinking of that little girl, I'm thinking of that young adult as she's learning to ballroom dance. And those are my shoes, by the way, I had on for my first ballroom dancing. And I'm realizing my whole world is opening up in a way I never imagined. I could never have been a life model without that little girl, without taking that risk of being klutzy in front of a group of people on the dance floor. None of it would ever have happened. Being nude, being vulnerable has been empowering and life-affirming for me in a way that I will always cherish. So what's love got to do with it? Love is at the core of the body, mind, and soul. Love is the foundation for the courage, the courage that leads to the transformation from fear to empowerment in the body, in the mind, and in the vibrant, shining soul. That was great. Good job. Thank you. All right. So we're going to see if there's any anonymous memoirs. And if there are, you get to read it. You get to read it. So don't go, don't dance off too quickly. So what was your favorite ballroom dance? Did you have a favorite one? Social, social Argentine tango okay. is still my favorite. Mm -hmm. Rumba would be next, you know, mm -hmm. sex standing up as they call it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. We've got one. So, <laughs> there you go. okay. If I'd realized I was going to do this, I'd bring my, I'd wear my reading glasses. <laughs> Again, you know, I get, I tipped off my age, right? Um, after being with your high school sweetheart, you may think you don't, you won't fall in love again. But if you're open you may discover love is even better than before. All right. That's awesome. Yeah, so remember, fill out the anonymous memoirs, and uh, we're going to take about a 10-minute break. Go get refill those drinks. If you need more food, go order it, and we will be back in about 10 minutes. So we'll see you then. I've always wondered about that whole thing when they say, take your seats, because I always wonder where they want to take their seats, where you're taking them to. <laughs> so we should update that to just sit down. <laughs> All right, are we ready for our next storyteller? How's that first storyteller? 
setting in now after, right? You know, just getting naked in front of people is the most empowering thing. Now you know. Now you know. All right, so with that, let's put our hands together to welcome Brian Swanson with his story, Love of the Extended Family. Thank you, thank you. Wow, this is impressive. I feel like I'm going to like be on the Academy Awards or something like that. It's got all these lights, it's cool. Anyway, good evening. Um, when I first heard the topic for this evening, what's love got to do with it? The first thing I thought of, of course, was Tina Turner. Okay, so I went and I looked and I said, okay, what is Tina Turner's song all about? And how can I make that song fit into this evening? Well, it had nothing to do with what I could say. Because if you actually look at the, the Tina Turner song, the Tina Turner song is about love has got nothing to do with that relationship we're having this evening. Uh-huh. So I turned around and I said, what else can I do? And I thought, you know, I've had a lot of experiences in my lifetime. And one of those lifetime experiences is the fact that I was adopted. So that's what I figured I'd bring up this evening. So I have to start this off with a question. First thing is, is how many people here have parents? Uh-huh. Never ask the question that you don't know the answer to. Okay? So the next thing of it is, minus step-siblings or step-parents, how many people have four parents? Nobody. It's kind of surprising. There's usually one in the crowd. Well, guess what? I have four of them. I have two parents that raised me, which was my adopted parents. And I have two parents that, well, they got together one weekend, and uh, next thing you know, here I am. So my biological parents is what we would call them. <laughs> so I grew up knowing that I was adopted. There's a lot of families out there that don't tell their kids that they're adopted. They don't mention it, and then all the hell breaks loose when it comes down to 13 years or 20 years or whatever, and the kid finds out and all that stuff. I didn't have one of those experiences. In fact, I'll even tell you that this story is not a negative story. I actually had a very positive experience. But what I talk about the love, what love has got to do with it, we're adopted, a lot of us are anyway, we're not necessarily adopted out of love. We're adopted out of the fact that we need to fill a hole in that partnership, okay? Whatever that relationship is, they needed a child because of, whether it's biologically, biological problems or whatever it is. So love is not necessarily the first thing that goes through when parents adopt you. I was adopted at three days old, and I will tell you this also, I heard stories over the years that I was actually um, adopted because mom gave up her 1967 Forest Green Mustang GT. Yes. <laughs> and the heck of it is, I was hoping like heck when they, my, my uh, folks got around to telling me that I could actually find maybe some paperwork on that so I could track it down. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. So... I was raised, again, an only child from the day of, or the, from the time of three days old till now, of course. And 
I always sat back and I always wondered, who are my parents? Who are my biological folks? It wasn't because I wanted to know if they were rich. I didn't want to know if they were famous. Those are all byproducts, by the way. I wanted to know just who they were out of curiosity. And the second reason, believe it or not, we lived in a small town or a small area up in Indiana. I always wanted to know if I dated my, my sister. <laughs> now, now, here's the crazy part about it. I could have. Because once we found my, mom, my birth mother at this point, I found out I actually shared schools with my sister in the, when she was in the fourth grade and I was in the third grade. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a good thing the hormones weren't kicked in at that time. <laughs> so that was one of the reasons why I wanted to know. And then the other reason was, especially when it got to the point where I was actually seriously looking, was the fact that I wanted to know what is my health background. Am I going to have a heart attack when I'm 25? Turns out it could have been 35 because dad had a triple bi or quadruple bypass at age 35. I missed that one, thank goodness, because as you can tell, I'm beyond 35 by now. So I wanted to also know, too, did he have hair? Did dad have hair? Because I still got mine. And guess what? He still got his. So what's love got to do with it is a big question because what I'm talking about right now is I'm talking about a little bit of nature and a little bit of nurture combined together. Sometimes love, love is a small feeling, or if you look at what's love got to do with it, it's a secondhand emotion, okay? I don't say that to be funny because according to the song, it is, <laughs> right? So if you look at my history, I looked at the fact of, am I, would I have had a better life, right? Aren't we curious? Are we going to have a better life if we find our birth parents? Some of you, well, none of you know because none of you are adopted. I know these things. So I, I look and I, I, and I went through a whole lot of history, and I'll give you a quick rundown of it. I always knew I was uh, adopted. My parents never shied away from it. My mother, come to find out, actually had a son that she adopted out when she was 19. So my adoptive mother adopted out a son, and she went looking for the son, and guess what? She found him. He lived about 20 miles up the road. Turns around, the person who helped her helps me. There was some tracking that went on. We went into maybe the Wisconsin Dells. We did all this other kind of stuff. And at one point I decided, hey, I'm home because I lived in Colorado at the time. I was home back in Indi or back home in Indiana. Reminds me of another song, but anyway. Um, <laughs> somebody got that. Uh, if you remember, that was the Indianapolis 500 song by Jim Neighbors, right? Um, so anyway, some of us are too old for this. Anyway, um, I went to the hospital where I was born, and I looked up my records. I took my adoptive, mo adoptive mother with me. We go into the, the office there at the hospital. The woman says, hey, let me take a look. I'll find out, see what I can do. She comes back with a piece of paper, which is a, a, a copy, a photocopy or a Xerox. 
And right at the top of it is my mother's name with a big black mark through it. Well, if you look at, this was before HIPAA, by the way. If you look at the stuff and the secrecies and things like that behind adoptions and everything else, that person who gave me that record had an obligation to cross my mother's name out. Well, she did on the microfilm. So if you know what a microfilm is, it's a nice piece of like negative stuff. She takes a marker, puts it on there, throws it on a Xerox machine or a copy machine. Guess what comes through? She did her job, but she also gave me my mother's name. Called up that person who was helping us look. Next thing you know, find out she's nine miles down the road. Uh-huh. Give her a call. She comes over, because we were 100% sure it was her. She comes over to the house, and I'm like, I'm terrified. Who's going to answer the door? Mom, answer the door. <laughs> Please. She's like, oh, heck no. She says, it's your mother. <laughs> okay. So I'm like, all right. I get myself over to the door, and there's this four-inch stoop on the door that goes down to where the sidewalk is at. I open up the door. She's down here. She's about this tall, standing next to me. And I'm like, after I learned what was going on, I'm like, am I like the tallest one in the family? She says, yep. <laughs> she says, when you go, and I'm not tall, by the way, little 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, she says, when you go to a family reunion, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be able to find your cousins, whichever one you want. Because they're all the same way. My brother's the same way, the whole nine yards. So where I want to take this, and I know I've gone a long way with this, is the fact that when I found my birth mom and I found my birth dad, I realized very, very much that I had similarities or that we had similarities. My mother was the get lucky kind of person. Let's have fun. Let's enjoy life. Let's have a beer. Let's go places, and I don't care where we go, so you tell me where we're going as opposed to where I want to go. Then I found my dad, and shortening the story, I found him 10 years later, and I actually found him through classmates.com, if anybody remembers that. He had taken the information that I had from her, or from my mother, and put it online, and the information he put out there was the only information that I had. That he was at an Air Force base in Indiana, which doesn't exist anymore, he was there from this time frame to this time frame. It all works out together. So looking back, I realized, like my dad, my birth father, he had all kinds of great qualities. He was a leader in the community. He helped build the EMS system from ground up. He was the CEO. He was a board member for the Houston Water Department. He also worked at the post office, which I never did, but he had leadership skills. He had leadership qualities. My mother was just fun-loving, and that described me. But I also had qualities of my dad who raised me, and he worked his fingers to the bone. He went to work every day. If you were an hour early, you were on time. Some people say 10 minutes, but my dad was always an hour early. Okay? He raised me so that I basically was a middle-income kind of a person, lived in the city, the whole nine yards, but I really realized that a lot of that nature is real because you can't fake that. 
You can't build that into a child who you're not around. And that's really what it comes down to. And again, I go back to the fact that it's secondhand emotion love is just from the title of the song or the words of the song. I also realize that you've got to take everything that you get and learn from it. You don't pick one thing or one person. You don't build a business off of one person's ideals. You don't have a family based off of one person's ideals. You need to take everything that we know and we learn and we see and we hear and bring it all together and learn from it and make our own decisions. So what's love got to do with it? It's got a lot to do with it because if they didn't love me, I wouldn't be here. Okay, what's love got to do with it? It's got a lot to do with it because my dad would not have been my birth father and my birth mother would not have been accepting of me when I, you know, when I found them. When, they, when she knocked on the door, it took her like 10 minutes to get to the house. She was excited and she brought me into that, into that family. My birth father, in fact, I was talking to my sister the other day who he raised, talking to her a couple weeks ago, and she's like, you know, there was one thing that went wrong when dad found you. I said, what was that? She says, he was too damn anxious because he invited you down for Thanksgiving. He brought all the family over. <laughs> he put all of this stuff, and he says, the rest of us in the family are going, but dad, where'd this guy come from? Do you know it's him? Do you know it's the right thing? A whole nine yards? And to kind of summarize it up, we actually ended up doing a DNA test and everything turned out perfectly fine. And now my birth father is my last parent that is left out of four. My um, adoptive dad died in 07. My birth mom died in 17. And then last year, my adoptive mother passed away in March. So I called up dad, and I'll leave you with this. I called up dad, and I said, congratulations, dad. You're the last parent standing. <laughs> Y'all have a good one. Thank you. Stick around here for a moment just in case somebody put some anonymous memoirs back there so you can read it. I know, right? Hey, now I can see. <laughs> it's, it's, it's brighter than sunshine. It is. <laughs> Nothing in there? All right, so we've got none. If we get some before the next one, we'll have you, if we have more than one. Okay. It's time for our last storyteller of the evening. I guess that people don't want to take their seats anymore. <laughs> so they just, just sit down. I don't know where they're taking them. <laughs> where do these seats go when they take them places? <laughs> All right. Nobody knows. Uh -huh. Get a girl. I like your Def Leppard shirt. All right. So let's uh, welcome our last storyteller who has magically appeared on the stage already. So this is Erica, and Erica has been uh, helping us with the social media. So if you see any social media that you find engaging, thank Erica. <laughs> With a K. With a K. <laughs> so with that, let's welcome Erica 
to begin her story, which is titled Love Interrupted. I really have to appreciate, can you hear me okay? I'm a soft talker, so I'm going to try and put the mic in front of my mouth. Um, and I appreciate Brian's uh, sentiment about the lights, because I do feel like I'm in the spotlight. So I'm going to um, share with you a story of a girl who forgot how to love herself. And to do that, I'm going to go a little bit back. And I want to show how, you, how she got there, because it wasn't always that way. Um, she grew up in Midwest <laughs> uh, and had the nuclear family, uh, a mom and a dad. The dad was in advertising and worked long hours, and the mom was a stay-at-home mom. And let me tell you, Mad Men is real. <laughs> My dad was out entertaining, and he was gone all hours of the night. So when he came home, I wanted attention from him, but he was busy with my brother. I have two siblings. I have an older brother and a younger sister. Um, as we were growing up and I went to school, uh, I quickly learned that I didn't fit in. I was bullied. Well, I had the bowl cut, the crooked teeth. I was the first one with braces, and I was the tallest in the class next to Mandy. Mandy was interesting. She had boobs. I didn't. <laughs> and this girl goes through school, and she wants attention. I'm the middle child. I really wanted attention. And I wasn't getting it by being the good girl. So I started acting out, and that meant smoking, drinking, ditching school, and finding the wrong boys to hang out with. Dad didn't like that. When I was about 16, we moved across country. Well, not really across country, from Wisconsin to Minnesota. It was a big deal. <laughs> and I was just trying to fit in, and I had a job, and this is where I met my first serious boyfriend. And lucky for me, he showed up at my house for a date and realized that he was also trying to pick up my sister. I won. He got to me first. <laughs> But I came into this relationship with all those insecurities, and I wasn't confident in myself, and I didn't think I deserved it. And it resulted in jealousy. And we tried to make it work, and we were together for four years. And I went off to college, and I tried so hard to make it work that I was missing my courses, and I was going back to try and fi fix our relationship. And I ended up dropping out of college, and I went into depression. I didn't know how to deal with it. And I moved home with my parents. And they were now living in a small town, Minnesota. It was 3,000 people. The population doubled when the rodeo came to town. This is no joke. <laughs> and I got an ultimatum from my dad. And he said, it's time. You either go back to school or you get out. I did both. And I wasn't going to go back. So I was working three jobs, going to school full-time, and doing my thing. And I met a guy. We were dating for six months. And it was fun. We would party. We would hang out all the time. Six months into the relationship, I found out he was married with kids. And I stayed because I already knew I would be hurt. And I didn't have to go back to that relationship I had in high school where my heart was broken. 
and I stayed for three years. And when we were together, it was good. And when we weren't, I didn't care. I could go out and party with my friends. I could date whoever I wanted. It was no big deal. Until I saw my friends getting married, having kids, and here I was in this relationship that wasn't going anywhere and wasn't serving me. So I decided to leave. And it was shortly after that that I met my ex-husband. And when I met him, he was actually dating my friend. They broke up because she cheated on him. But when I met him, it was, uh, I looked past the flags and I was settling because this person was enough. And I saw how he was with his son and I thought he was a good dad. And I forgave a lot of things that happened and that were coming up in our relationship. So even though he wouldn't admit that we were dating, we're living together. About two years into the relationship, we got engaged. And then a couple months later, we got married and pregnant and bought a house and had a baby all within one year. It's a lot, and it's a lot of pressure on a marriage, especially a new one. And things were still not going well. And I went into depression again after my first baby. And I didn't know how to deal with it, and I didn't know how to deal with the lack of support I felt. So having another baby was the solution. <laughs> Let me tell you, it does not work that way. But I was determined to fix it, and I was determined to stay. And you may ask why. And it's because I learned a lesson long time ago from when I was a little girl. I met my best friend growing up when I was five. We had the same bus stop. I was the only person that knew she was being abused by her dad. And I tried so hard to be there for her and to save her. And I couldn't. And she went on to abuse herself, got into drugs, drinking, and she abused her children. And I had to walk away from that. And I put all my energy into saying, I need to give my kids a good life. So I started volunteering at schools, and I was that mom. <laughs> you guys know the one I'm talking about, the one that works to death, the one that volunteers for all the events. And I went back to college. I made sure I didn't have time to focus on my marriage and the issues that were in there, and that it was broken. And time went by, and in that time, I actually met somebody, a special girl to me. She's my best friend now. And she was the first person in a long time that taught me about unconditional love because she didn't care. And she told me that she didn't care and she loved me no matter what. And she heard my story and she gave me courage. And that was special. And shortly after that, I just... I kept in this busyness, and I realized one day that I was just sick, and I couldn't function anymore. I was coming home at 5 o'clock at night and falling asleep on the couch because I just didn't have the energy anymore to keep up with my kids. My health was failing, and I knew I needed to make a change. So I looked at fitness online videos. Yay. Anybody done yoga by Adrian? Get me. <laughs> 
And I started working out. And in that, I found a community. And they, they worked out, and they ate healthy, and they said, hey, we read these books and their personal development. And I was like, what is this? You guys are crazy. But I did it. And the first book I read was You Are a Badass by Jen Serrano. And I read that, and I thought, there's something different here. Life can be better. And I know it can be better, because if she can do it, anybody can do it. And I dove straight in. And I started listening to podcasts, and I started reading books, and I became empowered, and I wanted to change our life. Which meant I convinced my ex-husband to move across country for that better life. And we moved from Minnesota to Colorado. The problem is, is when you move across country, the issues in your marriage don't go away. They come with you. But your friends and family aren't there to protect you from those issues, and they become more obvious. And soon, I was reading these books, and I was becoming power, empowered in my own self and becoming confident. And anybody know what it means when you're confident and you look at those five people around you and you notice that the one doesn't fit the mold? That was my ex-husband. And it wasn't long after that that we decided that we needed to divorce. And we decided we were going to do it right. And we were going to be amicable until it wasn't anymore. In life, when you go through a hard change, it can throw hurdles in your way as a way of testing you to say, are you sure you want this? And it did for me. When I was getting our house ready, I remember the paint, when I was painting the walls, was peeling like peanut butter down the walls, just pouring off of it. And I spilt paint into the carpet. And I cried for days. And I thought, what am I doing? Did I make this choice? And did I do the right choice? And I persevered. And I thought, I'm going to keep going. And it wasn't too long after that 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 amicability that went away resulted in me losing my kids. For six months, they wouldn't talk to me. I couldn't see them. And in that time, what kept me confident in who I am and who I was was I already knew that I had grown. And I was confident in who I was and what I deserved. And I had a community of support around me. And I read books that helped empower me. And I listened to podcasts. And I leaned into the things that gave me joy. And it helped. It wasn't always easy. It helped. And during this time, I was also dating. <laughs> Which, let me tell you, dating, after 20 years of being with someone, it's interesting. Especially dating in your 40s. But I had fun with it. And I had fun with it because I didn't take it too seriously. And I enjoyed getting out and getting to know people. And again, that universe, it threw a curveball, and it said, we're going to throw something in your way to see if you're really serious about this thing. And that guy that was married, he came back. And this time, he told me he loved me. And that he had always cared about me. And I had to see for myself that it wasn't real, and he was never going to leave his wife. And it wasn't fair to any of us. And I had to walk away from it. 
And in that moment, I looked with gratitude at all the gifts that I was given. I was able to get out and kayak. I was hiking. I was traveling. I had some amazing friends. We were going out and we started a blog. Life was good. And I thought, I don't need anything else right now. And it's funny when you make those decisions because at that moment, that's when somebody entered my life. And I wasn't looking for it or waiting for it. And what was different this time is I didn't need him. I didn't need him to fill the voids that were in my life. I didn't need him to fix me. And he didn't need me to fix him. He was the cherry on my Sunday. You don't need that cherry, but it's nice when it's there. And we complimented each other, and we still do. And the moral of this is to say that when we go back into our childhood, there's moments, there's pivotal moments where we choose not to love ourselves. I wasn't always not confident. What I didn't tell you is when I was in the second grade, this girl got busted. She was on the playground kissing the boys, not only in the front playground, in the back playground, and on the bus. I knew who I was. And somehow I let somebody take that away from me. And I continued to do that for many, many years. Until I found it again. And when you find that in yourself, don't let it go. Because every day I live in gratitude. And I'm grateful for that. And I don't need somebody to complete me. But I'm happy to have the cherry on my Sunday. And that's what's important. Thank you. So, how was that story? So, thank you very much, Eric. Any, any, we've got no, not you people have no secrets at all. What's wrong with you? <laughs> huh? Yeah. All right. So, with that, let's see here. Let's find out what next month's theme is going to be about. All right. So, we spend time, we save time, we rob and get robbed of time. We lose time, and sometimes we have all the time in the world. But none of us is so powerful enough to stop the march of time or slow it down. So congratulations are in order. For So far, it's been a wonderful journey. And let me be the first to wish memoirs next month a happy birthday. So with that, next month's theme is making birthday wishes a reality. So if any of you have a story about birthday things that you made a reality, please come talk to us because uh, we need some storytellers. So if this theme hits you, let's get you on this stage. March 28th at 6.30 p.m. right here at 3E's. So thank you all for your time and attention tonight. As always, it's the greatest gift we can give to each other. So thank you. <laughs>